Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Good morning. We made the treacherous journey here from one mile away where we live. So we just, we live so super close here. This is the first time ever I've preached in Rancho Santa Margarita, uh, even though we've lived here for four and a half years. Um, thank you, Chris. We are actually a part of King's Cross Church. We've been, we were here on opening day and have been planning another church in Newport Beach recently, but uh, have been trying to transition back to our hometown here and participate more with King's Cross because Chris and I have been meeting together for maybe three years now and talking about, praying about this church plant and excited about what God might do here in our own community. Uh, I've been pastoring for basically 27 years now, uh, mainly in Orange County and Los Angeles, planted a church in Los Angeles and pastored that for many, many years. So I think I'm in about my 25th year of ministry Uh, and get to speak and teach a lot. I'm speaking at a conference here locally in Orange County this week at Mariner's Church, but I'm most excited this week of all things I'm doing to bring the Word of God to you here this morning at King's Cross, uh, because every time we open God's Word, in fact, yesterday morning I opened my email and there was an email from a friend who lives in England who's recently written a new book. He's written lots of books, but his name's Tim Chester, and he's recently written a new book on the value of the Bible. So yesterday morning I couldn't sleep and I got up super early and I went out to my office because I have an office at my house and I skimmed over, read most of this book and was just really encouraged at, the, at just being refreshed in the value of the Bible. And so this morning what I'm going to do, we're, I'll give you a little bit of an introduction here and then we're going to open up God's Word and read this sort of obscure passage that you might have read and thought, what is that? I don't think I'd preach a sermon on that. And then mine the depths of what God has to communicate to us today. So wherever you're coming from today, this will apply to you. Whether you're younger or older or single or married or discouraged or happy, unemployed, employed, poor, rich, wherever you are, this will speak to you because God has brought you here to hear his word this morning. Now, I want to start before we open the Bible by just giving you a bit of an introduction to what we're going to talk about. Because... In our culture, there are quite a a few different views of what life is all about. Now, you might not, when you watch a TV show, think about this a lot, but there's probably some worldview that's being propagated on us as you watch that. Now, I'm not saying like, TV bad, don't ever turn on TV. I'm saying, 
Think about the messages that we hear in society. In fact, here's just a couple of quotes from, from a newer celebrity and an older celebrity. All right, so Kanye West says, the point of life, he'd be the newer celebrity, right? Sort of newer, all right? He says the point of life, this is the point of life, is getting stuff done and being happy. So Kanye West says that, so he didn't say stuff. So he says that's what, that's what life is all about. He says getting stuff done and being happy. And then Bob Dylan, an older celebrity, for those of you that are over like 45 maybe, Bob Dylan says life is unknowable, a mystery. He says we just can't know what life is ultimately about. You can think about it, but you'll never ultimately know. Now, I want to give you a few philosophies that, that are embraced in our society for how to live life. All right. The first is hedonism. Now, maybe you've heard of the resort hedonism in Jamaica. On our honeymoon, we went to Jamaica, and we didn't go to hedonism, right? But directly next to our resort was hedonism, which was a resort where it's like, do whatever you want, all right? So hedonism says the purpose of life is to pursue as much pleasure as possible. Somebody passed away this week who was a hedonist. Hugh Hefner was a hedonist. And when I was in college, I was a valet parker, and I worked for a valet parking company in Los Angeles, and I would get invites every week to work at the Playboy Mansion on Sunday nights for movie night. And I never went there because I thought, I as a Christian don't really want to go to the Playboy Mansion as a valet parker and work at movie night. And I read an article this past week about just the gross stuff that happened at the Playboy Mansion on movie night and how intimidated women felt so often. But ultimately, Hugh Hefner was a hedonist. So pursue as much pleasure as possible. A lot of people in our society live like this, including a lot of high school students. So I have two kids at Tesoro. A lot of people are like, pursue as much pleasure as possible. Or my neighbors who are in their 50s who are bored. All right, so a lot of people moved to RSM when they had little kids, and now their kids are in their 20s, they're going to Cal State Fullerton, and they're bored, and so they party nonstop. So those are my neighbors, because we get invited to tons of things hedonism, right? Pursue as much pleasure as possible. How about nihilism? This is essentially Bob Dylan. Says that life has no meaning and values are baseless. So I have a coaching practice and I work with a lot of business leaders. And recently I was sitting in Beverly Hills on a $15 million house coaching seven super rich uh, business leaders who, who run Fortune 1000 companies. And I'm in this meeting and I'm doing... Uh, Basically, this group hired me to do sort of legacy planning with them. Like, what is life all about? And one guy who's a super prominent guy who's on TV all the time essentially argues back with me in front of the group. And he, and he has multiple kids with multiple women and broken relationships all over the place and is trying to figure out what should I, my presence look like in the life of my kids. He's essentially a nihilist. He said, generally, I feel like values are meaningless. I can do whatever I want in life. I'm insignificant. And I just thought, it's funny that you hired me to help you consider what life is about, yet you're, you essentially believe there's no, there's no meaning in having any values. All right. How about existentialism? So hedonism, you got that, right? Nihilism, existentialism says the purpose of life is for each person to act as free and irresponsible as possible, right? Existentialism, do whatever you want, like be as free as possible. So there was a survivor season called the blue collars 
the white collars and the no collars. Anybody see that? And the no collars were like people that were like, be as free as possible. I have high school friends that are still bartenders that are 47 that just feel like as long as I can just be as free as possible, they don't want to be bartenders. They want to work as little as possible and be as free as they can so they can just do whatever they want in life. Existentialism, live in the moment. Or how about naturalistic pantheism? Now don't get bored because you see this all the time in the media. This says the meaning of life is to care for and look after nature and the environment. Do you remember in Arrested Development when somebody chained themselves to a tree? If you ever saw Arrested Development, right? So I think it was in season one, right? I'm not saying that 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 being concerned about nature is wrong and that you should just litter at will out of your car. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying when you worship concern for nature and the environment, it's like I'm, it's the center of my life. You're saying that's what's most important. Or how about humanism? All right, humanism says life is personal and individual, so every person's purpose is different. All right, so it goes like this. Stay true to yourself. Reach your potential. Did you ever watch American Idol? It's like just be yourself. Stay true to yourself. It's individualism, essentially. All right? And common good along the way is okay. And then one more. Classic liberalism. Not political liberalism, all right, necessarily. Not theological liberalism, but classic liberalism emphasizes the importance of individual liberty. You see this in our country too, right? And the purpose of life is to defend this inalienable right. Now, there are good in some of these philosophies, perhaps not all of them. I don't know that there's good in hedonism per se, like pursue pleasure at all costs. But there are certain elements of these philosophies that are that might be redeemable but but what do i do if i'm a christian so you're here at a christian church on a sunday morning you're either a christian or you're trying to be a christian or you're pretending to be a christian or some christian dragged you here this morning but right so but you're here saying what is how should i live my life if i'm a christian all right so what is what is christian faithful living look like so if it's not hedonism and it's not nihilism and it's not existentialism or pantheism or humanism, how should I live as a Christian? What does life look like for me? Now we start with this. God created the world with a purpose. He created meaning for humans. All right? And my purpose is to live in right relationship with God. So more important than any of these philosophies, my purpose as a Christian, is to live in right relationship with God. But what does this look like? Because I grew up in a Christianity, and I rejected it in about the eighth grade. That was all like, keep rules, keep rules, keep rules. That was the Christianity that I learned growing up. What, how should you live as a Christian? Now, the text that we're going to look at today unpacks some of this, and what it says is that, first of all, faithful living, Christian living, starts with being in right relationship with God. So you can't work your way into right relationship with God. But once you've done that, what does faithful Christian living look like? Once you're in right relationship with God. Now, before we open the Bible, I just want to give you a, a brief summary. This text that we're going to look at that was just read for us is one that you'd probably read and think, I don't think there's a lot there for me. It's just kind of a story that we would pass by. There's no commands in it. There's no like over, you must do this to be right with God. Yet God saw fit to put this in the scripture for us. So let me, let me tell you what's going on. Paul's in prison 
when he wrote these words. I was in Rome about a year ago, and we were in the place where Paul and Peter supposedly were in prison. Like you can, you can see where it is in the Roman forum. So Paul was in prison when he wrote these words, probably in Rome. And he'd earlier planted a church in the city of Philippi, and he's writing back to his friends in the city. So imagine if Chris was a long ways away and he'd planted this church, King's Cross. We were still here worshiping. Somebody else was teaching other than Chris. And and Chris wrote back a letter because he was in prison. That's kind of what's going on with Paul and Philippi, but we hope you don't go to prison, Chris, all right? Now, Paul would really like to go back to see them, but he can't because ancient prison wasn't that awesome, and so he can't get out. So he's hoping to send his young protege, Timothy, uh, back to visit them soon. And he also says in the text he's going to send back someone named Epaphroditus, who the Philippians had sent to take care of Paul while he was in prison. But Epaphroditus had gotten sick and almost died while he was taking care of Paul. All right. So Paul says, it's time to send these guys back to you. And I want you to honor, especially Epaphroditus, because of how he served me and served Christ. All right, now I'm going to read the text again. It was read for us already once, but then I'm going to read it one more time in light of this context and then teach, help you see four things from this text. Philippians 2, 19-30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you in his distress because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God has mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ." He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Now, I told you, you, as you read over these words, you might be tempted to not pay much attention. Why are they even in the Bible, these words? It's just a story of Paul going, I'm in prison. This guy's been taking care of me. I miss you guys. I'll send him back. Would you honor him when he shows up? And you might go, okay, so what do we do with that in Orange County in 2017? Bible scholars believe that Paul is giving us a couple of examples for faithful Christian living. Now, earlier in Philippians 2, Paul had just said, hey, you know what? Don't think only about yourselves, but think about other people. Look at the example of Christ. Christ didn't think only about himself. We read this in the early part of Philippians 2. He gave his life for you. He came to earth. He renounced all the awesome stuff that he had in order to live a human life and all that that involved. And then Bible scholars think that Paul goes on to say, here's a couple of faithful examples of what it looks like in terms of what Paul is saying. Now, what I want us to see is four four keys to faithful Christian living in light of the fact that you've already believed the gospel. 
These are not four keys to being right with God. They're not four keys to having God like you better. All right? So assuming that you have already embraced the gospel, which means the finished work of Christ on the cross. Christ lived the life that you should have lived. You didn't live. He died the death that you should have died so that you could be right with Him. So if you know I'm right with God, how should I live now? All right, we see four things in this text. Here's the first. The first thing is Jesus' cause over my plan. Jesus' cause over my plan. Faithful Christian living, as opposed to hedonism or existentialism, is Jesus' cause over my plan. So Kanye says that life is about getting stuff done and being happy. The existentialist says life's about being free and living in the moment. But what is Christian? What does the Christian believe about faithful Christian living? Jesus' cause over my plan. Now, you probably have a plan, some sort of plan. And I'm not saying that that plan is wrong or bad. Maybe you have a plan to get a particular degree in college or a plan to, to save a certain amount of money or a plan to own a home someday or a plan to, to get out of Orange County and move to somewhere that you think would be a, you know, somewhere more awesome. We don't think so. We tried that. It doesn't work, so I wouldn't suggest it. But, but um, you probably have a plan. See, faithful Christian living, though, says Jesus' cause is more important than my plan. The Jesus cause is more important. Now, what is Jesus cause? We read it in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. You don't have to turn there, but just listen. Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who were oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus was on a mission. He had a cause to bring freedom to people who, who are mired in spiritual poverty and spiritual blindness and spiritual slavery and spiritual oppression. That was Jesus' cause. He's saying, I came here for a reason, to seek and to save lost people, to be on mission, to see people as created in the image of God and as sheep without a shepherd. Now, see, I, I just live over at the corner of Santa Margarita and Alicia. So, you know, as you drive across the bridge and you look up on that hill, we live up there on that hill. We've lived there for five years. We know most of our neighbors. I play fantasy football with my neighbors. And so this morning, they're all at home checking their fantasy football thing while I'm preaching. And uh, we go to parties with our neighbors all the time. We hang out with our neighbors. Why do we do that? Sometimes it's inconvenient. Sometimes we don't really want to. But we see our neighborhood as our mission field. We see our neighborhood as God cares about these people. God cares about the people that live here. We want to befriend them, get to know them, not just throw Bible tracts at them. Like I didn't run into the neighborhood. Guess what? I'm here. I mean, I'm a Christian. You should all listen because they probably wouldn't and they would stop inviting me to their parties. We just moved into our neighborhood and tried to engage with people and love them and get to know them and spend time with them, go to things we're invited to because we understand that Jesus has a cause here and that's to be on mission and that's more important than my plan. Now, where do we see this in the text? You might go, that's true, but is that in Philippians 2? This is how Timothy lived. Timothy was concerned for the interests of Jesus Christ over his own interests. So for everyone looks out for their own interests, verse 21, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. So apparently Jesus caused over my plan was really rare even back then, and it's still rare today. 
So Epaphroditus almost died for the work of Christ. Jesus caused over Epaphroditus' plan. Like Epaphroditus' plan probably wasn't, I think it'd be really cool to move to another city and live next to a prison and get sick and almost die to take care of another guy. But he did that because he believed this is what God would have him to do. Now, there's a million applications for this, Jesus' cause over my plan. But what does it look like for us? Well, first, understand your position. You're positionally right with God already if you're a Christian. All right? Now, then think, is the mission of Christ on my mind daily? Am I thinking about people around me like Jesus saw them, with compassion like sheep without a shepherd? Do you understand your identity? And then as you make decisions in life, like sometimes people decide to not move from a place that they live because they feel like, I think I would rather stay in this church and help this church go. Maybe you're super excited about King's Cross. And you might go, I think I'm going to stay here in Rancho Santa Margarita or in Mission Viejo or, or wherever you come from, somewhere close to here probably, because I really want to see this church grow and reach people. You might go, my plan is maybe to do something else. So I can't apply that for you, but just ask yourself, is it Jesus' cause over my plan? All right, faithful Christian living. Here's a second thing we see in this text. So how should a Christian live now that I'm right with God? It's other people over myself. Other people over myself. Here's another way of living that isn't necessarily intuitive for how you might see, the, see life, all right, or how people see life. Because from the time that we're children, right, we think about ourselves, our comfort, our needs, my preferences, my pleasure, right? Do you, do you, have you ever been around a person before? There's like four of you and you're just trying to decide where to go to a restaurant and that person is so dogmatic on what they want that they don't care what the other three people think. It's like, I want this and I want this. And I'd say, that's a person that we don't really want to hang out with a whole lot. A person who always wants what he or she wants, right? Um, because that's how we think sometimes. This is what I want, what I want. I've tried to teach my four kids for a long, long time. There are six of us in our family. So we have to consider what other people want, right? But where do we get that? For the, faith, for the Christian, faithful living means other people over myself. Now, in the text, Paul has just finished teaching this in the first part of Philippians 2. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And then Paul says, hey, look at Timothy. That's what he says in the text here. Look at Timothy. He's like, nobody does this. Everybody's concerned about themselves. But Timothy is a model of genuine concern for other people. And Epaphroditus risked his life to help others. And Jesus modeled putting others before himself. All right? So what does this look like for me as a Christian and for you as a Christian? others over yourself, recognize what God did for you when you didn't deserve it. You understand that? You're not in right relationship with God because you're awesome. You're not in right relationship with God because of something that you did. You're in right relationship with God because God decided, I'm going to bring you into relationship with me. All right? So recognize you didn't deserve that. Years ago, I was preaching through Ephesians, and at the time, we were battling a mouse problem in our garage. And mice, like, if you've ever had a mouse in your garage or in your house, 
one mouse turns into a lot of mice, right? We were living in Los Angeles in a townhome. We would walk into our garage, and I swear, it was like battle. It was like me with a mask on and a blowtorch and a shotgun walking into the garage, like getting rid of these mice. And I got super good at catching mice. One time I caught four in a sticky trap in one hour. And you think, wow, that's you must have had a lot of mice. But apparently mice multiply. I got rid of all of them. And I remember like preaching through Ephesians at the same time with a dead mouse in my trash can thinking, you know, that's about the analogy of how much work you did. It's like God reached into the trash can, picked you out of the trash can and said, you know what? I want to be in right relationship with you because I created you to know me and I love you and I think you're amazing. But you didn't do anything to deserve that. And when you think about that, you go, who am I to withhold love from other people when I didn't do anything to deserve it? Like think of the non-Christians around you. You don't like their lifestyle and you feel judgmental. And in fact, I was in Denver three days ago. It's 10 o'clock at night. I'm in downtown Denver and a super tall, big homeless guy comes up to me and says, hey, can I get a hug? Literally asked me if he could get a hug. Now, I thought about it for a second. I'm just being honest. And I told my kids, and I did check to see where my wallet was too, but I gave him a hug and he held on for like 10 seconds. And, and so just in Denver, 10 o'clock at night, giving a dude a hug on the street. All right. So just another day. Right. And so, so, and then he, he goes, Hey, thanks for not judging me. And he turned and he walked away. Dude just wanted a hug. And I, I've, I've talked to homeless people before who say to me things like, I just feel like I'm, like, like I'm invisible. I don't feel like a human being. I feel invisible. And so I'm not holding myself up as an example of, of, of greatness in this area. I'm just saying this is what the Christian life is about. All right? R- Romans 12.1 tells us our whole lives are an act of worship to God. So Romans 12, essentially, this is the King's Cross translation, all right, just written for today. It says, take your ordinary, everyday life and offer it as worship to God. All right, so there have been books written by by good guys, you know, like David Platt wrote a book called Radical, and then Michael Horton, uh, who lives in San Diego, wrote another book called Ordinary which I'd like to, with the same looking cover, basically, and I didn't actually read Radical, but, but I did read about half of Ordinary, and I thought, I like that Michael Horton, this theologian, is going, no, so much of the Christian life is just about showing up for work tomorrow and being a presence, right? Offering your, your daily life as, as worship to God, because all of life is spiritual. You understand that? Not just church on Sunday morning. So work, having children, hobbies, friendships, yard work, commuting, not video games, but everything else, is everything, all of this stuff is spiritual. All of it. None of it is secular. It's all an act of worship to God, how you do it. All right? So for most of us, like Epaphroditus, faithful Christian living involves pouring out our lives little by little, in practical acts of service day in and day out. Things like this, having a lonely person over for dinner or babysitting for a single mom or inviting some intentional, some international students over or doing foster care or having coffee with a friend and praying for her or helping somebody move or visiting somebody in the hospital and so on. All right. That's what faithful Christian living looks like. Jesus calls over my plan, others before myself, serving over my own comfort, ordinary over spectacular, because essentially what's happening in Philippians 2 is it's a guy delivering a gift to Paul 
getting sick along the way. And Paul says, this guy, and it's in the Bible, you guys, this guy served well and should be honored. Now, I hope today, as, as I just close here, I hope that first of all, you are right with God. Because this, you know, this, doing these four things won't make you right with God. Being right with God means acknowledging, I'm not right with God. I wasn't born right with God. And yet God sent Jesus to live a perfect life and to die a death in my place so that I could be right with God. All that involves is you going, I recognize that. I recognize that I'm not right with God. I recognize that, I, that I'm not headed to eternity with God. I want to turn away from living from the way that I'm living, and I want to turn toward living for God, recognize that Jesus, uh, Jesus, Jesus' perfect work is, is applied to me. And once you've done that, you know you're a Christian. This is what faithful Christian living looks like. So I want to, I want to encourage you, as you watch TV and you listen to music, you know, and you're, and you're faced with lots of different philosophies, movies, you should be a thinking Christian going, huh, I, th- I can see the philosophy in there. I'm not saying you can't ever watch TV. I'm just saying, think about what you watch and reflect. What does faithful Christian living look like for a Christian? What does the Bible say? And I think it's right here. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about King's Cross Church, or make a donation, please visit kx.church. Here at King's Cross, we believe that worship means more than just listening to a sermon, and we encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. For Sunday morning meeting time and location for King's Cross Church, please visit kx.church. Thanks again for listening. 